So, neo-paganism. What is neo-paganism, guys? <coughs> a junk drawer. A junk drawer. What <laughs> <laughs> did you say? A junk drawer. <laughs> okay, so what's happened is with the, um, the modernist paradigm, okay? Is the modernist paradigm spiritual or material? Material. Okay. So, what has what do you what is the natural consequence of a rational, spiritualist, spiritless, modern nationalism? Avoid. What's that? Avoid. Avoid. Okay. So, in the midst of that void, a bunch of people have responded to the soulless, uh, dry, lifeless, cold, sterile modern paradigm with uh, a kind of spiritualism. And some interesting things about this spiritualism is that it's not Western generally. No. I think that's where we I think that's what makes it very different than the paganism that we're used to. Mm -hmm. So if it's not Western, it would be then what? Eastern. Okay, so what is examples of Eastern spiritualism? Hinduism. Hinduism, there you go. Buddhism. Yoga. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, I do yoga. It's like, it's like New Age. Uh, yeah, yeah. New Age is what he calls it in this book. The yeah. whole New Age thing. Um, and, and I mean, you know, yoga is one of those things. I've done yoga before. It was in uh, theater class. That's how we stretched before we had to do very physical theater. And uh, I, there was nothing spiritual about it. But why is it strange to us that a church in Spokane that my cousin is an elder at, they would offer yoga, spiritual yoga, Christian spiritual yoga, as, as one of their outreach programs. So on Wednesday night, you go and you do yoga like it's supposed to be done, but instead of, you know, the pagan version, it's the Christian version. And you're like, no wonder we're all confused. <laughs> because even Christians think this kind of thing is okay, right? Uh, I have another cousin. He is a Baptist Buddhist. He's a Baptist, but he's a Buddhist because when you're a Buddhist, you can be both. Um, it's like having two nationalities, right? You can be a citizen of Canada and Ireland at the same time, apparently. But what else, uh, you know, sort of goes into this spiritualism? So Hinduism, you've got yoga, you've got Buddhism. You have like tarot cards, you've got... Yeah, tarot cards. <clears throat> tarot cards. You got Ouija boards. Yeah, Ouija boards. Right? You got this thing when I was a kid, you go into the bathroom, you turn off the lights, you say some phrase three times, and it brings spirits out of the mirror or something. Uh, did any guys ever play that game? That was like a thing in the 90s, maybe. No, you were a Christian in the 90s. So the only other person who was alive and it was a teen at the same time doesn't remember that because she was good. <laughs> I, I was given a Ouija board before I went to college. Yeah. And I did play it. And a friend or somebody in the dorm asked to borrow it mm -hmm. and I never got it back so it's probably good God was protecting me yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah so the other thing too is is when it comes to our modern mythologies they tend to be Eastern um, so Star Wars is extremely Eastern uh, you have this yin and yang thing you've got the dark and the light and neither one of them is objectively better but they're supposed to hold the universe in balance. And, and the force. Like yeah, the force is yeah. this life force, spirit world. So this has all been the response to um, the cold modern paradigm. Um, and what C.S. Lewis wanted to do, he thought it was an opportunity. Uh, the secularization of society, uh, he addressed directly, 
but what he wanted to do was he thought that the, the spiritualism that was in response to this was an opportunity. Now, is that generally how Christians think of it? No. 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 Um, stuff is but how could this spiritual awakening in response to the the cold modernist paradigm how could it be used by us how could it be used what do you mean well acknowledging that the desire for something beyond materialism is a mm-hmm. desire okay so there's that argument by desire that he's so famous for right argument by desire so clearly they're desiring something um, that is not being satisfied. So they're, they're searching for something, right? And, and you know, modern people are like, hey, there's no such thing as water spirits. Um, there's no such thing as dryads and naiads and all that stuff. And here's C.S. Lewis writing children's stories about dryads and naiads. Because he, he thought that there was something to all of that. Now, there, are there any impersonal forces in the world? Impersonal forces. Are there any impersonal forces? So even. What do you mean? You mean like, like spirits? No. Are there any impersonal forces in the sense of just raw laws, like things just acting upon? No. No. Like even gravity is a response of two, two bodies in motion. But what set everything in motion? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are no impersonal forces. So when you go down and you can, and you think, man, it's almost as if this river is living. It's almost as if there's like a god behind it or something. And you're like, C.S. Lewis would be like, yes. <laughs> right? But he, he, and he has a name. His name is Jesus. And this is what I think um, there is a huge debate in, amongst modern Reformed Christians about the natural revelation. How far can we go with natural revelation? Because Psalm 19 is very, you know, it talks about the fact that nature is crying out, you know, declaring the glory of God. In Romans 1, it talks about the fact that um, God's attributes are, are seen in nature. Mm-hmm. So this, this, you know, this idea that there isn't just this lifeless um, law, like this deism where the whole world is just there operating without any impersonal, without any personal forces behind it, is something that we can address from Scripture, right? There's a, there, there is something in nature. Nature is something that we ought to take care of and be good stewards of because it declares the glory of God. We ought to be careful about um, forestry, and we should be conservationists. And I mean, what I find is typically Christians just poo-poo all that stuff, right? Right? Does anybody want to be known in any way, shape, or form right now as being part of the green movement? No, No, but they have a point, because we were supposed to be stewards of this kind of the world. Right. You know, destroy it. Not destroy it, yeah. And I think being good stewards, you know, what you have is like right now, okay, so say you have a forest, and their forest management is leave it alone. It's pristine and perfect. And what we need to do is keep man away from it. And then what you have is you're not cultivating it, and this is partially why you have such so many forest fires, right? Because God didn't want us to just leave nature alone. He wanted us to subdue it. But subduing it doesn't mean we turn it all into Toyota factories, um, as some of us are wont to do. Right? It'd be a lot easier just to cut all the wood down, woods down and make a parking lot. Um, so, so there is, I think, even with the green movement, I, I think there's an opportunity there. But what, what I typically hear is just Christians who are making fun of it and mocking it. But this spiritualism that's involved, right? Mother Nature and, um, the, you know, it, they want to have, they want to make it a persona that they're protecting. And I think that's right and good. But what they need to understand is that there's a difference between cultivating something and just leaving it alone. 
Um, so that, that's one big area that I'm always thinking about and talking to people about. It's a big opportunity. What are some other opportunities with modern neo-pagans, spiritual types, that, through this argument by desire that we could show them a better way, the third way, the biblical way? What do you guys think? Probably have more in common with them as far as our idea of like yeah. the universe and like the cosmos and everything like that. Yeah. As opposed to someone who doesn't believe in, in anything spiritual. Um, okay. I'm, I don't know how to get more specific than that, but yeah. So what if, uh, so say you have a person and they never were able to say good, um, goodbye to their parents who have passed on. Mm-hmm. Or they were never able to reconcile with them. And they really want to talk to them. Hmm. <laughs> right? How would you address that from a biblical point of view? Where, where you're not just like, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> because, again, this whole thing, like, what we tend to do is just mock and make fun of, I, I yeah. think, and ridicule these kinds of things. But how would you address the fact that somebody has unfinished business with someone who's died, and they really desperately want to speak to them, and they believe in a spiritual world where this person exists right now? Well, based on their sermon last week, Communication with the dead is strictly forbidden. So. <laughs> <laughs> Necromancers, anyone see your? Ba- are you going to pass the test? Ghost wives, anyone want a ghost wife? No. Okay. Best I can come up with is write a heartfelt letter to them and then read it somewhere that's meaningful. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of times when we ask for people for forgiveness, um, here, here's an interesting theological question: Does it? Do we have to hear them say, "I forgive you"? in order to close the loop. No, that's their choice. Yeah, generally what needs to happen is we need to do the repenting, right? And so you're exactly right. Oh, fine, write them a letter and say all the things that you needed to say and read it out loud and then um, whether they forgive you or not is something, right? That That's not the point. That's not the exercise. But you can, in a sense, communicate with, with well, not with them, but you can deal with the issues that you had when they were still alive, right? And, and like, if I had to do a funeral, say, and it was an unbeliever, I would, and they died, and here's all the, the family, and they're crushed. I would come, and I would be like, listen, if they were here now, right, if they could tell us what they see right now, what they would tell you is that Jesus is real, right? The gospel is true, and, and I would argue from, from what we know to be true. The person who has died, who even though they didn't believe in it, knows it to be true now. And if they were here, they would say, like the man, like Lazarus and the rich man. Remember the rich man? Mm-hmm. Somebody go back and tell my brothers about this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're like, listen, I totally understand about unfinished business. And if your brother were here, he would say, believe the truth so that you can avoid, right? It's that the ghost of, uh, no, what is it? In Christmas Carol, the first ghost that comes. He's got the chains. Right. No, it's uh, his friend. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, his par- business partner. Oh, Jacob Marley. Jacob Marley, yeah. He comes, and, he, and he's, he's got the chains, and he's rattling, right? That's what the rich man wanted to do. He wanted to go back and tell his, his business partner's brothers that to avoid these chains that I'm in. And so there's an impulse with people that you, I think you can, you can legitimize and use to explain to them the truth, okay? Um, what about this idea... That you can, like, like my Baptist friend, uh, cousin who's also a Buddhist. <laughs> like, how would you address that? He's like, well, my Buddhism doesn't exclude my Baptist beliefs, which I don't even know where, I don't even know how to comprehend. Like, I, I couldn't even explain what this theology is. But he holds these, this tension. He goes to church and he hears stuff and he's like, yeah, I, I believe all this. 
but then he goes to his Buddhist group, and because Buddhists are a lot like, right? It's not about the specific belief system that you have. It's about simply just engaging in this spiritual process of perfecting yourself, right? He, he's searching for nirvana. He's searching for the Zen. Mm -hmm. So, how would you address somebody like that? You know, the interesting thing that I've read about Lewis is that he believed that you could use their belief because, as he pointed out, Christianity is not it's complete mm -hmm. and mythology is not complete. But when you put them together, then Christianity is the total truth. So you combine the two. You, you I guess you just use what they know right. and believe and then expand on it. Right. to show them that, yeah, you're in the right direction, but you need something further. So you would work off of the imperfection of what yeah. you're believing. The, the I mean, that's what gaps. Lewis said. He called that belief that mankind, uh, it, <clears throat> yeah. I, I think acknowledging that their desire for perfection is actually a good thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, to say that on our our will doesn't want to make us perfect. Right. We cannot achieve it right. without God. Without God. Um, so, yeah, your de desire is good, but your role that you're taking isn't going to get you there. Right. And we, and we can't offer perfection to people. Mm -hmm. Right? Everyone who, who dies and goes to be with the Lord will, in fact, be perfected. And they will, in fact, know nirvana. Right? Nirvana mm -hmm. itself, this idea, um, on one level is okay, and, and you can use it. Because it's, it's not... Um, because what they're looking for is this uh, oneness, the whole idea, this oneness with like the great spirit. Yeah, the great spirit, yeah. Right, this great spirit, um, we're all heading back to where we started, right? Mm -hmm. There's just this giant vat of spirit, everybody gets a little bit, and our idea is to get back in the soup, get back <laughs> into the spirit bowl with everybody else. And so they're, they're looking for this peace and unity and oneness, and, 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 I, and I think it's a very Christian idea. Because what it is, is it's unity with the triune God. You're going to have peace and unity and oneness with him. And yet, you're not going to lose your identity as an individual person. In fact, yeah. you'll be more, more of an individual than ever, yet at the same time in perfect unity. And, and, and this idea, I think if you, if you understand the Bible and what Jesus is offering, you, this, is I mean, this is just a bad version of it. Um, it's, just un it's, it's incomplete and untrue, like you're saying. Um, and so all of these things, if we think of, if we listen to what people say, right, I don't know very many people who would be like, well, I'm searching for nirvana. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, um, no, that's not how they talk. What do they say instead, right? Because all of this new agey spiritualism has kind of seeped down into the, into the bedrock of people's imaginations. Um, but how, how do people like this usually talk, if you think about it? What do they usually say? Perfecting themselves. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to be the best me that I can be, right? <laughs> sounds like I'm, I'm on this journey to just be be the best me I can be. Um, I have a family member who talks this way. I just put it out there in the universe, and if it comes back to me, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sure what you what does that mean? Okay, so you you submitted this thing, and if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Like like it's it, if you listen to the to people, you got to actually think about what they're really saying. Mm -hmm. Right, I had a coworker who believes in reincarnation. Why? Well, because they're riddled with guilt. They want to come back and do it again. They mm -hmm. want to be able to do it again because they know that they messed up. 
And, and, and the thing is, you can have a sort of resurrection, right? I mean, think about what that idea even is. You can die right now and live again. And you have a whole new life right now. And, and, then, and then every time you sin, in one sense, there's, there's a death in yourself and new life that comes. So you don't have to wait until you die and go back to the beginning and come back as a dog or something and earn your way up. <laughs> you start as a dog right now and work, <laughs> work your way up by eating some, some humble pie. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think addressing all of these things, you know, listen to the people you know and love who are not believers. And, and I'm, I actually think more people are neo-pagan now than ever. I, I mean, I think in the last couple of years, it's like people are afraid of death People are looking for salvation. People are looking for security. People are, are looking for um, some assurance that this pain that they're suffering here in this life is not all that there is. And, and the thing is, they just that Christianity at this point uh, is a joke because Christians are generally a joke, um, right? Because most Christians aren't that different from them. Well, you're no more secure in your salvation than I am, even though you're telling me I should go to church and I should... Um, believe all these things about that actually are, are neocon conservative values, not actually biblical values. So C.S. Lewis knew his Bible, and he knew pagan literature, and he understood the the assertion or the uh, the bedrock assumptions people were making. So he was able to confront people on all these levels. So as we, if we want to address people's um, issues today, I think the the, ba- the baseline is understanding scripture and what it actually teaches and, and really believing in ourselves. Um, uh, the other thing that I wanted to address in, in, in this is this idea about neutrality. Um, because even this idea about being the Baptist, Buddhist, um, it's like all things being neutral, I'm just picking the one that works best for me. Um, and they think, you know, and, and Christians get sucked into this. What, why do so many Christians send their kids to public schools? Because they think it's just education. It's fine. It's neutral. Um, politics is neutral. Work is neutral. All these things are neutral. It's, it, right, it's, um, but is there neutrality? Is there actually something like neutrality? Not in no. this world. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think one of the biggest things that C.S. Lewis was capable of doing is recognizing that, we, that there, there is an antithesis. Now, do you guys know, have you guys heard of the antithesis? Of what? Uh, well, it's just called the antithesis. The one uh, in biblical history, uh, redemptive history, going back to Genesis 3.15. The antithesis between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Okay, that's the, the antithesis. I'm sure that there are other antitheses. Um, <laughs> uh, but the one I refer to as the antithesis is this one. Right? The, the, the wife, uh, Eve, takes the apple, eats it, gives it to Adam, he falls. God comes and says, listen, there is now going to be enmity between your seed and her seed. Okay? And this means that we don't, there, there are no neutral parties. Yeah. You're either then on the side of light or the side of darkness, <clears throat> even if you neutrality. don't know it. What's that? Enmity is not neutrality. Yeah, enmity so. is, is a word that does not mean neutrality. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and so what you have are, are the forces of light and the forces of darkness. But what you have is there's a whole bunch of people over here who don't have any clue about this. They have, they have no idea about this. So this is like, you know, um, people say things in the Bible like, oh, he does not know what spirit he's of. And is it, hey, Justin. 
So there are people who don't know that they're on the side of the darkness. Okay? And I would say at this point, increasingly, there are a bunch of Christians who don't know. Uh, they think there's neutrality all over the place. They, they do not understand this concept, which gives them a fundamental, there's a fundamental flaw when they sit down and understand the gospel. Because Jesus came because of the enmity. Jesus came because there, there is no unity between light and darkness. And so what you have are a bunch of Christians who think there is unity with darkness. They're like, oh, the, you know, these people are generally good. They don't have any idea about this, so we're not going to hold them to this standard. And, and so modern Christians, I think, have a difficult time understanding the uniforms that everyone is wearing. Um, and, and increasingly, right, this is what I've said, especially this church, I'm trying to lay off it a little bit now, but convincing everyone that there is an actual war going on. I feel like I've done that. If you've been here at any, any amount of time, there is no neutrality. There is a war. Um, but do you guys find that this is true, what I'm saying? Do you guys know Christians and unbelievers who have no concept of this, this yeah, war that's yeah. going on? Yeah, and what are the, the Christians, what are they, how do they usually justify it to themselves? I mean, how do they usually understand their own, like, I, I was recently told by a Christian, if you guys, you ministers who are so warlike, just stopped fighting, there would, the war would end. I was literally told that. So hmm. if you stopped fighting, they would, there would be no more war. What does he mean? What did they mean by stop fighting? Well, stop being so martial in my oh, demeanor in towards unbelief. In your yeah, like you know, yeah, within oh, okay. within the within the denominations, within the culture of war. Because there wouldn't be any war. Darkness would take over. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's two ways for peace. You don't you know you don't go to war and it's temporary. Uh, you have a temporary peace, or you go to war and you win and then you have peace, or you are war and you lose and then you have peace because you don't exist anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so how do we address this issue? That there is, in fact, no neutrality and that there is, in fact, a war on. Like, how do we teach this to our children? How, what does this look like at, at work, right? Are, are you, does this mean now you go and you're actively combating the people at work? Generally, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because this comes, I, I think, of my family, and um, not all, but some. I mean, they're sending their kids to the public school. They think it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it's like, or they look at people that they're good people. They're not yeah. Christians. They're good. Yeah. So these teachers are good people. You know, they're not teaching my kids something I don't want them to teach. Therefore, it's okay. I, I don't, and I don't know what to say. It's like I, yeah. they don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> they don't yeah. get what I see, but right. Right, and, and I would say that as we go, like this is something that Lewis, the reason he was so good at fighting is because he understood this. Mm -hmm. I would say that this is something we ought to pray about a lot. Right now, if we want to have reformation and we want to have revival, what people need to understand is that there is an actual war. Mm -hmm. Okay, that there is no neutrality. And, and, we, and we need to both understand what Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what spirit they are of, right. and yet never stop talking about the fact that there is no neutrality. There is an actual war, right? There are sides. Jay Inslee, I, I completely understand why he's doing what he's doing, okay? He's been making terrible policy decisions on junk science for his entire adult life, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And you because, can understand why, he, I can't understand why. I don't, I well, yeah, he, 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 he well, believes I have in, no understanding. his whole worldview it makes what he's doing right now is per perfectly consistent with how he's always acted, okay? Because he before it was the green, 
the green movement. When he was a congressman, before he was a governor, the green, 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 right? The world is gonna end unless we do this. Everybody's gonna die unless we do this. And so he would get science, science, study it, and think, okay, the world's gonna end unless we do something. And so he makes, he's been making policy decisions based on fear that comes from his belief in experts in science, for, again, for his entire adult life. Then he, now he's old, older, he's closer to death, and you walk in and you're like, dude, there's, here, there are experts and scientists in the lobby who are gonna tell you now that we're all gonna die <laughs> unless you do something. And he's like, I'm the man for the task, <laughs> right? I was born for this moment. Yeah. And in one sense, if you see the providence of God, he was born for this moment. Now, does any of that excuse what he's doing? No. no, it simply makes sense. It makes what he's doing make sense. Now, there's also, and he's also a statist, right? I mean, there are other things. I don't think he minds communism too much. I don't, I don't think he minds a heavy-handed state too much. There's other things involved that are prima facie wicked. But I, I think uh, he doesn't really know what spirit is. He really believes he's helping people by forcing them to do these things. And I think we do have to take that into consideration um, what I've learned is if you just talk about as if he's sitting down, he understands the scriptures like we do, and he's making this plan, I think that's, I think that's to completely miscategorize what's going on. Mm -hmm. He's just doing what comes natural to him. So yeah. I, I, I think he's actually evil. He would say he's good. And right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and he, and he says, listen, I love you too much to let you hurt yourself. <laughs> put this mask on and put this medicine in your body. Okay, because I love you. And you're like, okay, I, feel, I, I, I get that you have emotions, <laughs> and I get that you're trying to protect me, but no, don't come near me with that. Right? Put the needle down, Inslee. And, and, I, and, I, and I think this is how wickedness works. He justifies it in his own mind. And lots of other people now, right? Uh, there was one um, person from CNN who's talking about now prosecuting people who won't get the vaccine. Because they, we're really, they really think we're putting everyone at risk. We are now the... Right? It's not, it's no longer the virus, it's people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is always what happened, right? It's not. It's been twisted. Yeah, it's been twisted. And this is how it's like, is Judaism wicked or Jews wicked? Um, <laughs> if you would have gone back to 1930s Nazi. And they were, yeah. at first they would have been like, well, Judaism is bad. So let's just go after the people who are really pushing, right? The really hardcore Jews. Then now what we're doing is, even though you were converted to Christianity and you're like a good German, you have Jewish blood, right? It went from this ideology and religion to the people themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is what we do. So now what we have is there's these policy differences that in the end, the policy difference doesn't matter. It's, there's something inherently wrong with the people who have these policies. And, and once you do that, you're no longer, you're not in a free state where there's a free exchange of ideas. And, you know, um, during the election two weeks ago in, in Virginia, like the people on the TV were talking about how conservatism is 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 a, is, a, is a, inherently racist, inherently violent, oh, yeah. inherently wicked, and, and I mean like I I don't watch news ever anymore now ever, but I was watching this and I was kind of like it's a little shocked. I was like, are they just talking this way on the television? Mm -hmm. um, and, and and you see that there's no neutrality, and then you go back to your brothers and sisters in the church and you're like, guys, we're getting our lunch handed to us. It's time to go to war. And they're like, we serve the Prince of Peace. <laughs> okay? But how does, why does Jesus call himself the Prince of Peace? Because he does want to conquer the enemy. Because, yeah. he <laughs> because he already won. Yeah. Okay? So he can call himself a Prince of Peace 
all, all day long. That's fine. Amen. Um, I, however, am not a warrior of peace in that regard. I'm still fighting the good fight of the faith. Okay? I'm still down here, boots on the ground, making this happen. And we have to, right, the enemy is under no uh, delusion a lot of the time that there is, in fact, a war on. Um, they, they believe in this war more than we do, generally. Um, and, and the Christian church has, has I think, um, we have allowed all this unbelief, various kinds of unbelief in, aphorists, right? Yeah, if people want to talk about the way that you talk, right? Like, oh, you shouldn't be using language like that. Um, they say people like, say, Doug Wilson, when they totally sold the farm otherwise, right? Like, who cares if he's not being very polite? When you, you Christians, there are Christian people who accuse them of this, where they have totally sold the farm. They, they've sold out to secularism in every conceivable way. And yet they're going to talk to, about a guy like Doug Wilson because he's not very polite. Um, now, how, how do we address this problem? Like, wh What's like a strategy? Um, I, I, I mentioned prayer. <laughs> right? But what, what are some ways that we can combat this, this neutrality idea? Deconstructing their worldview. Yeah, deconstructing the worldview, right? What are the assumptions that they're making, mm -hmm. right? So that and that's what studying this class is all about. What are the assumptions that people are making? Don't stop talking about a particular policies. Let's talk about the assumptions underwriting those policies. Okay, like this. I have no, like, don't waste your time with a left-right argument. Generally, both sides are wrong. Okay, I, we tend to think conservative people are a little less wrong when they start talking, but even the underlying assumptions that they are using to make the decisions, you give them a couple, you know, a couple of years and they'll be liberals too, right? Or, or, or what they have is just soulless, modern, this conservatism, they don't even understand what they're conserving, right? If we're going to be true conservatives, it means we're conserving something. What is it that we're actually trying to conserve? Freedom. Freedom, okay. <laughs> Freedom's a good thing. <laughs> Christianity. Arguably. Christianity, yeah, liberty, Christianity. What else are we trying to conserve? The truth. The truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and we do believe that there is a, a um, objective truth. There is a standard outside of all of us that by which we, that can judge between you and I as to whether or not who's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, teaching about the, the war itself. I mean, I think deconstructing this idea that there's neutrality, it's like communism. When has it ever worked? Right? There's no neutrality here. People who support communism support murderers, mass murderers. And, and the more they, you know, you try to talk to them about that, the underlying assumptions, yeah. com communism's never worked. It's only, it's just been the means of mass murder. I feel like people only partially believe or partially understand the things that they believe a lot of the time. Yeah. When you say, like, so it is, uh, it would behoove a Christian to understand the entirety of a person's worldview and position when it comes to communism. Because you can address things and be like, well, according to Marx's book, you believe this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, a lot of, if you spell out what a person actually believes in their belief system, they start to say, well, I, I don't believe that that far. I'm like, well, you have to believe it. If you believe this, mm -hmm. you have to believe this, too. Mm -hmm. So if you believe in evolution, you have to believe that people aren't worth really saving because it's just part of the process, right? right? right, right, right. So like deconstructing their narrative of like, okay, you have to, if you're going to 
they believe this, you have to address this about your belief system. Mm -hmm. And this is how the Bible addresses this about the belief system. So. Yeah. And we would consider this loving, wouldn't we? I'm sorry? Yeah. We would consider this to be a loving act, correct? Loving yes. our neighbor by, by deconstructing their worldview. Because nowadays, loving your neighbor tends to be this idea that you're, you're simply affirming them. Yeah. Just be nice. Yeah. yeah. Like, just nice. be nice. Like, don't, you know, don't, don't be judgmental. You're like, no, I'm going to love my neighbor by judging them left, right, and center. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, this idea that, like, like Christ's love for us was pain, is painful to us. It's actually painful. Why? Because we have to die to ourselves. Like, he's mm -hmm. calling us to die to ourselves to live for him. And, and so the, this concept that love is just affirming, nonviolent, right, and safe is, 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 is false. And, and, it, and it's tied up into this whole thing. You can't deconstruct somebody's, you, you have to deconstruct somebody's terrible worldview if you love them. And if you don't love them, you won't. And so the church has a problem where it, do, it, it has the opposite of what it thinks. It does have a lack of love problem. But it does, and because of its limp-wristed, affirming way that it just thinks everything is equal, right? All worldviews are equal, all education is equal, whatever. And so um, another thing that we can do is educate our kids, right? And, and, and have a community in which we, um, that is refreshing and, and, now that I've mocked it, affirming in these things, right? If you have a community where you go and you actually hear the truth, and you hear people praising what's good, beautiful, and true, opposed to a community that is, is solely based on what it's opposed to, right? I, I think this is where a lot of conservative Christians in the moment are, are missing the moment because what we're becoming are angry little countercultures. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not what the world needs. It needs joyful warriors. It needs people who love one another, who are cheerful, who love what's true, good, and beautiful, right? Who aren't just out there <laughs> shoving what's true, good, and beautiful down everyone's throats. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and at the end of this chapter, on this section, he talks about the fact that there's kind of these two, two ways of going about convincing right. neo-pagans. One of them is to scare the hell out of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that can't work. The other one is coax and draw them in. I think that's the one that, that Redeemer has tried for many years. Mm -hmm. We're out there just making friends with everybody. Trying to be like, see how sweet our community is? <laughs> um, and I think that there is a time and a place for both of these two options. Um, it's, it's amazing when somebody is really terrified how scaring the hell out of them actually scares the hell out of them. Um, and coaxing and drawing in, I mean, there are some people where you're just trying to build relationships, right? But the argument by desire, I think, under, underlying this whole thing, people who want neutrality, people who are searching in the, in the New Age spiritualism, they're all, they, they desire things, and they are desiring good things. And we ought to affirm that and then try our best to explain what their desire is actually pointing to. Okay? Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Rachel looks like she has <laughs> deep thoughts back there. What's on your mind, Mrs. Eby? Uh, well, I just feel like it's gone the other way within the Reformed Church. Like, there is no neutrality. And we keep saying, I don't care what you do in this situation. I'm just against this. Mm -hmm. But it does feel like, no, if you go on that side, you kind of have picked a side. Right. But it's a, like the vaccine or how you give birth or a wisdom issue. Right. But in some denominations, they're not. Mm -hmm. It's like, you got to pick 
pick a side. Oh, okay. It's the other side. So, okay, nice. Good. So there are some things where there are conscience issues, right? And uh, and what's the difference between a conscience issue and a and a issue of neutrality? There's a big difference between something that I do by choice. It's not. It doesn't necessarily. Right. And how did I come to that choice? Reason? Just. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, generally, if you're thinking well of others, right, here's a Christian who thinks they should get the yeah. vaccine. Well, I guess. Should I, we assume the best about them that they have a. that it's, a, it's their conscience that has led them to this moment? Yes. Yes is the answer. It's not a trick question. Conscience. Conscience. And conscience and neutrality are completely different areas. And I. and, I, I, and it's a good point because I think how the conscience is supposed to function in the Christian life is something that we're, that, yeah, we're as, as ignorant about as we are about neutrality. Because to say that his conscience has led him here does not mean that what, what anything is neutral. It means that he has looked into the evidence, both biblically and, and say, science, and has made a decision. And, and, if we, and, and if we're encouraging one another to make informed decisions, then, then what we're doing is we're fighting neutrality, Right? Whatever you decide, you decide because you looked into it and you and you decided. Now, how does that right? <laughs> okay, so now you have an unbeliever, and, and 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 yet that doesn't seem to be the approach, right? Well, whatever you decide, if you look into it and you decide for yourself, there is a difference between the two. What is it? Well, the unbeliever doesn't have a spirit of God to give them wisdom. There you go. Okay, the the unbeliever does not have the spirit of God to give them wisdom. True. Okay, and what, what is, so you have an unbeliever and a believer, you argue with them differently, correct? Right? You argue with them differently. And I think talking about conscience is something that we ought to do more of. Why is it that you believe, right? What's your, con- your conscience? Why has your conscience been formed this way? It goes back to the same, you're doing the same thing with assumptions, you're doing the same thing with worldview, you're, you're looking at all of those things. Like your, your family members, in their own minds, think they're sending their children to public school is good. Is that a conscience issue, or is that a, they, like, are they doing it by because their conscience thinks that it's okay? Do you think that it's a completely informed decision? I mean, th- these are the questions that we have to ask. I don't think they think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> um, and, and I think that that's something that we need to differentiate. I, I think we need to really make distinctions. Making distinctions at this time demonstrates a great deal of wisdom. Because you can have Christians who are doing making decisions based on conscience, like having their babies in a hospital. Because I, I know exactly what Rich is talking about. I remember when um, I was sitting in a in a hospital room, Anne Marie, she was pregnant with Titus, and they were like, "Well, we're going to do these tests." And I was like, "Oh, what are those tests for? What are these tests you want to run?" They're like, "Well, just to see if there's any problems." And I was like, "What do you mean if there's problems?" They're like, "You know, if there's deformities or if they're." They have some issues with their DNA. And I'm like, wait, is, it, is that going to change how we have the baby? And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to pay for those because I'm poor. <laughs> and they're like, no, sir, you really need to know because, you know. And, and, and it took me a while to find out that really what they wanted to know is they wanted to let us know whether we could terminate, should terminate the baby or not. Yeah. And I was like, Ann, get your coat. And we walked out of there, and I've never, I've never once been back 
we've used midwives the whole way. And I remember once I came to that, and what I considered after that an informed decision, there was the cage stage of the informed decision, where because we do it, everyone must do it. Um, and I think people who know me, I am an absolute sorry, Pharisee when it comes to Christian liberty. Because you can, you must, and you will. <laughs> you can drink, you will drink. You can't smoke, you will smoke. <laughs> you can't have your babies at home, you will have your babies at home. And so I think that there... I think that we have to be very careful to make distinctions. Christians ought not to bind other Christians' consciences yeah. except by the word of God, and they ought to make arguments to a certain point and leave it. You know, like, um, and they should allow for other, the consciences of other Christians. At the same time, we have to address the fact that there is no neutrality and, and, and compromise exists. Right. So say you have someone who's not making, you don't think they're making as informed a decision they should. You should debate with them, but how should you debate with them? How should you discuss it with them? You should do it in love, and kindness, grace, right? And then you go to only so far and you leave it. And, and I think part of, um, part of what reform people do is they treat all problems the same. Um, we treat unbelief the same way we treat disagreements about doctrines. And they're not the, they're not the same thing. <laughs> they're absolutely not the same thing. And I always like to tell my boys, right? Orthodoxy is a wide, deep river. Um, Sometimes it's so big it looks like an ocean. Sometimes it's very narrow, right? I mean, but orthodoxy is wide and deep generally. It, it's, we can all be out here on, on the same river heading in the same direction, um, and, and we're all on the same team even though it doesn't seem like it. Um, and that's very different than addressing unbelief. So, well, is, I, it, is it... If someone has a genuinely... Uh, genuinely can... Think, can Genuine conviction mm -hmm. in the Holy Spirit, and to change or into adamantly go against their uh, conviction or yeah. their conscience. I don't think people understand when people do that, especially if it's genuine, that they are leading their brother to sin, right? Against their God-given conviction. Yeah. I, I think that's true. I think the difference of opinion is different and having a conversation you know, one person is convicted that they will not wear a mask in, in any circumstance that is their mm -hmm. can, that is their God given conviction for them mm -hmm. to violate that is sin for them yeah totally no, no that makes sense right because something can't anything not done in faith is sin and, and you can't actually be leading people into sin by teaching them um, things contrary to the agreed standard. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say like teaching, but having the dialogue and conversation, but being adamant that you have to. Oh, I see. What you're you have to stop doing this because I, I don't believe you that. could actually lead them into sin by doing something contrary to their conscience. Exactly. I see. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yes, yes you can. So rather, we're talking about um, debating with neo pagans or our own brothers. I think there are a number of principles that we keep the same no matter what, okay? And one of them is what? Love. Okay, love, always, okay? Two, objective truth. There is such a thing as objective truth, okay? There is a Bible, and, and though you and I, right, we have different opinions about it, there it is, it says what it says. And what we have to do is figure out, just, you know, to, if we're gonna argue, we're gonna argue with the objective standard, not opinions. Okay, not, not traditions of men. 
right? Assumptions. What are the assumptions a person is making? Um, what, what I find, you know, when I'm trying to explain pedo faith to people, is what I'm always addressing is, is now, especially, is the underlying assumptions. And you go, right, you talk about the underlying assumptions, you talk about the objective truth, you realize that uh, we don't agree, and then so you don't worship together. And, and, I, and I think in the Christian church, this is a lot easier for us. I think we're, right, but it, and then you go out in the, un, un, in the world and you have an unbeliever, it's the same thing. You're addressing them out of love, you're, you're dealing with it from an from objective truth, and you're, and you're addressing their underlying assumptions. Is there anything I'm missing from this list? Goodness and beauty, I would argue. Objective goodness and yeah. objective beauty, too. Well, yeah, I mean, um, eschatology. I'm going to say, yeah, there's an eschatology to it. There's a point to it. There's a telos. There's an, uh, you're directing this thing somewhere, and that is the glory of God. So if you, if you have these borders, love, right, and God's glory, and in the middle you have debates and discussions and right arguments. If it's if it if you, you have love and the point is the glory of God, then I think all of these debates and arguments and you're going it's going to be way easier to be a joyful joyful warrior. That makes any sense. Because once you start getting if you're not doing it out of love, it's personal, right? You don't care about the glory of God. You just care about winning. Complete or not, Doug Wilson says it all the time. Win the man, not the argument. I know that's yeah. maybe hard to believe for some people, but he actually says it. Win the man, not the argument. So one way or the other, you can be a gentleman, right? You can be somebody who genuinely cares about the person, who, who's not concerned with scoring points. I think that's, I, I struggle with that the most, probably, is trying to win the argument and not the actual person. And not the actual person. Yeah, and I think C.S. Lewis, um, you know, there was some love-hate in his life. <laughs> some people hated to love him and love to hate him. But generally, he was just well thought of by everyone. Because he was such a jolly guy. Yeah. And even though he was absolutely fierce when it came to debating things. Okay, uh, any questions? Comments, concerns? Okay, there is an essay I'm going to send out um, to everybody about medi- medieval cosmology. We're going to talk about cosmology next week. You guys know what cosmology is? It's the study of the cosmos. Everything, right? Yeah. It's how everything holds together. Um, oh, I thought it was something to do with makeup and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Evie will be teaching that class down the hall. All right, Nate, you want to pray for us? Sure. Lord God, thank you for this morning and for this discussion, for this class. Pray for uh, the service. Uh, pray you be glorified, Lord, we come to worship you. Um, pray we take these. Uh, learning these truths into our lives and apply them and use them. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, thanks, everyone. Sorry I was in here late.